Well, good morning, church. It's really good to be with you all today. I'm excited to come and share the word with you. So we're just going to get right into it, all right? Uh, let me start with a question. As you've been walking around the streets you know, here in Hong Kong, have you ever seen people um, on the streets trying to sell something? It's quite a common sight where we are. You know, actually right in the corner of, um, of Wan Chai Road, there's a little space next to the Ta Siu place. There's a little space, and it's always rented out. And, you know, it's always rented out to people who are trying to sell different things. There's always someone trying to sell something out of that spot. I've seen frying pans, Chinese herbs, mops, diffusers, these magic cloths that seem to be able to clean everything, cushion covers, sometimes it's lavender, compression socks, underwear sometimes, and most recently, um, RAT test kits and face masks. These like $6 rat test kits. I don't know how reliable they are, okay? $6 apparently. But I love watching these people because they have a way to work the crowd. They know how to make a sale. And after you observe them for a little while, um, you figure out there's a method in what they're doing. So it goes a bit like this, okay? First, they're very good at getting the attention of just one or two people. You know, often they're just kind of like talking to themselves, kind of like practicing the sales pitch, I guess. But inevitably, there's always one slightly middle-aged person that comes walking along, you know, the old man that's kind of walking like this, you know, and he kind of comes along and they make the very, very big mistake of showing the slightest bit of interest. And suddenly, boom, they're hooked. You know, and one slight bit of interest, and they're hooked. All right, and then comes a sales pitch. And these are where these people really excel. Because whatever it is they're selling, they can make it seem like you need it desperately right now. And not only you, but your whole entire family needs this as well. You're going to, and if you don't buy it right now, you're going to miss a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And all they need, again, is just one person, one person to make a purchase, right? And then that's it. The crowds begin to gather, right? Even during the pandemic, um, Hong Kong people love to gather together if there is a deal in place, right? Gather together and block the entire pavement, and after that, one person makes the sale, one person chooses to make the purchase, then the rest fall like flies, right? They're handing over fistfuls of cash. Hey, I need this, I need this, and grabbing as many as they can. And that's how I ended up with five USB-powered tabletop blenders that apparently you can put all your vegetables and fruit in. You know, it's a really easy way to um, have your fruit and veg and healthy way to keep, uh, maintain a balanced diet. And if you want one of those, today I'm offering you a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. All right, just slide into my DMs, 70 Hong Kong dollars, all right, and you can have one. I've got them orange, pink, and red, whatever color you want. I can sort you out for that too. You know, Pastor Andrew started us on a journey through Acts a couple of weeks ago, and we continue on this journey today. But the question we have at hand today is this. How do we share the gospel? Sometimes, sometimes sharing the gospel, right, does feel like we're a salesperson trying to make a sales pitch, convince these people that we have something that they need. Maybe if Peter was working in that corner, he'd be selling um, something, something like this, right? Come and buy the most comfortable sandals this side of the Galilee, the one and only uh, Jerusalem cruisers, you know, whether you are walking on the um, Red Sea or hiking up to the Temple Mount, these sandals are the only things that you'll ever need. I should probably get a part-time job at that place, right? 
But what Peter is doing, he's not selling a gimmicky product in this speech. No, his speech is courageous, provocative, and truly life-changing to those who choose to respond to it. Because Peter is proclaiming the gospel. So let me just give you a quick reminder of what's happened up until this point. Um, If you remember, it's Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit has come, and the disciples are speaking in these foreign languages, and people are kind of reconciling in a way that they've never seen before. But also, some people think, what's going on here? It's absolutely crazy. Some people are amazed. Some people think that the disciples are drunk. But Peter explains, no, people are not drunk. This is not crazy. But rather, it's the Holy Spirit that is at work in this moment. And because the Holy Spirit is at work, you need to listen to what I'm about to tell you. And so my hope for us today is this. As we study Peter's declaration of the gospel, we will all be inspired to do the same. After all, for those of you who are Christian, for those of you who follow Jesus with your lives, isn't the gospel the best news that you've ever received? And surely if this is the best news that we've ever received, we want other people to know just how amazing it is. You know, the heartache that we've gone through as a city, the disunity that we've seen within our society, the mistrust between people groups, and the general sense of hopelessness as we look into the future, there is an answer to these things. We desperately need to heal, and we're crying out for hope as a family and as a city, and I one of the best ways I believe we can bring hope into a time like this is to proclaim the gospel. Now, of course, it's not an easy thing to do. And the thought of sharing the gospel might be super intimidating. You might even say, you know, well, you know, evangelism is just not my thing. I'm going to leave that to the people who are good at it to do that. But the point of today is to challenge that perspective a little bit, church. Because telling people about the gospel is really something all of us can do, and I would even say have been called to do. And hopefully today we're going to learn um, some methods and some tactics just to encourage and to empower you a little bit more to this call that God has given to you to share the gospel. We're going to turn to the God's Word in order for, to be able to do that. So we're going to be in Acts 2, starting in verse 22. Uh, follow with me, church. It says this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, was a, a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him down. Have you ever had a moment when you were in the middle of a conversation and then suddenly you just get this undeniable urge to talk about Jesus? I think I spoke about this the last time I preached a little bit, right? But you feel it in your chest. Your brain kind of zooms in on it. You might start to feel a little bit nervous or excited even. Your heart starts to beat a little bit faster because at this moment, you are sure, you know there's an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, what do we do in those moments? It can be a little conflicting, right? Because like I said, on the one hand, you're excited and you're, you're keen to share the gospel. 
However, on the other hand, you might be thinking, well, what if these people think I'm weird? What if I get rejected? What if it comes off as like this cheesy sales pitch? But we can take notes from Peter here. Notice how Peter reacts to this situation. Peter rises to the occasion. That's the first step we have to take. When the opportunity comes, we have to rise to the occasion. And he begins to explain and unpack what is happening. He makes the most of this moment to proclaim the truth of the gospel to anybody who's willing to listen to it. Now, again, you might be thinking, well, that was Peter, right? Peter was Jesus' best mate. He followed Jesus around. There was no big deal for Peter to do something like that. But again, we have to remember, Peter wasn't always this bold person. Peter was, in fact, a man of many, many failures. He was impatient and hot-headed. He often said the wrong thing. If you just look at his track record, you know, he, he starts to walk on the water but loses faith and begins to drown. He falls asleep when he's supposed to be praying, something that I relate to very, very much indeed. The night before Jesus was crucified, he denies he knows Jesus on three different occasions. And after Jesus' death, Peter is so down, he almost gives up on his mission altogether and goes back to fishing. Peter was a sinful, broken human being, just like us. But yet, he learned what it meant to be bold and courageous when it came to declaring the truth of who Jesus is and what he had done. It might feel like the work of sharing the gospel is reserved for a select few people who are good at it. We might not even feel like we're qualified to speak about Jesus because of things we feel like we've done in our past. But this is a reminder for us, church. And Peter's example is proof that when you're willing to share the gospel, you're not just doing it in your own power. But the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you and guides you and gives you the confidence and the words to speak in those moments. Despite of all of um, Peter's shortcomings, through the Holy Spirit, he was empowered to share the gospel. And that's why I believe every single person including you, yes, you and me and every single person who decides to be brave, who decides to let the Holy Spirit work through them, can also share the gospel in those moments of opportunity. So, you've, you've recognized the moment. You know that this is an opportunity that needs to be seized. Now what? What do you actually say? Well, step two is this, church. When you open your mouth, you declare the life death, and the resurrection of Jesus. These three things, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are crucial components when it comes to presenting the gospel. And I'm going to get a little bit theological, but also a bit practical here. So um, please stay with me, church. Listen again to Peter's words. Firstly, verse 22, he declares who Jesus is. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited to God by you, accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. What Peter is doing here is Peter is acknowledging Jesus' existence as a real person. He's saying, you knew this man. You've seen him. You've seen him. He lived among you. He breathed the same air. He ate the same food. He slept. He, he, he was functioning among you. You've seen him with your own eyes. Jesus from Nazareth. That's how people identified themselves back in the day. But at the same time, Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man, right? 
He performed signs and wonders and miracles. And when we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus was indeed able to do things that no other person could do. He gives sight to the blind. He makes the lame walk again. He approaches lepers to make them clean. He gives voice to the mute. He casts out evil spirits. And yes, he even raises the dead back to life. And Peter's saying here, all these miracles are proof that even though Jesus was a man that lived among us, he wasn't an ordinary man. Rather, a man, he was so filled with the power of presence of God, it was as if God himself was living amongst us. Jesus says this in John 15, 9, about, John 5, 19, sorry, about himself. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. What Peter's trying to do and what we need to understand is that, yes, these miracles that Jesus performed in the course of his life and his ministry are proof that Jesus was uniquely God's Son sent by him to this earth. So how do we declare Jesus with our lives today? Well, there's a few different ways. Firstly, we need to learn how to actually talk about him. This means we need to read our Bibles Spend time in God's Word, especially spend time in the Gospels. Fall in love with the stories of Jesus. Practice telling him about, practice telling stories about the things that he did because they are truly amazing. You know, as followers of Jesus, talking about him should be like talking about your best friend, your spouse, your partner, your child, someone that you admire deeply. So learn and practice how to talk and share stories about Jesus. But we can't just talk about it, church. We also need to live our lives as Jesus lived. Let me say something very clear at this point. Preaching the gospel has to be done with more than just our words. Now, I know most of us aren't going around doing supernatural miracles on the daily. Right? We, we don't do those kind of things. But we all have giftings and talents, things we're good at, which we can use towards um, proclaiming who Jesus is. We can use these things to love and serve people in the same way that we see Jesus did in the Gospels. How are you, church, using these God-given gifts and abilities to reach out to those who are hurting, to feed the hungry, to seek justice for those who are lost in darkness? The way we live should reflect who Jesus is. This is how we become the hands and feet of Christ today. Along with our words, our actions point people towards Jesus. And when we do this, it's like we're replicating the miracles of Jesus. It's like these people are so different. Why is this person helping me? Doing these things, it's like doing the miracles that Jesus did while he, while he was here on this earth. And this is what a life empowered by the gospel looks like. So yes, Jesus lived a powerful life while he was on this earth, and he's called us to do the same. But one of the most astonishing things about Jesus is that even in death, even in his death, there was great power. Let's read on to see what Peter says. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter's talking about sin and death here. 
The death of Jesus is probably the most tragic and unjust event in the entire course of history of the world. As we have discovered, right, we've just said Jesus was sent by God in this, on this earth to teach us, to guide us, to love us, to save us. But we also see that whilst Jesus was on this earth, he was often despised. He was often rejected by the very ones who he was called to love. Nevertheless, Jesus comes full well knowing that sinful human beings would be the ones who execute him through the brutal method of crucifixion. Yet he came to love. But here's the amazing thing. At the same time, even though we crucified Jesus on the cross, his death becomes the ultimate sign of victory. This is one of the paradoxes of Jesus' death. I, in the commentary, I found it said it like this. It was engineered and carried out by human beings, whilst at the same time, it was the climax of God's plan of salvation. And this is why, if you read stories about Jesus, he was able to talk about his death so freely. This is why Jesus continued his journey to the cross, despite all the pain and humiliation that he felt along the way. This is why even while he was on the cross, about to die, he was able to minister to the women around him. He was able to talk to the thief crying out for rescue, even though he himself was about to die. This is why his last words on the cross were, it is finished, because he knew that through his death, the greatest rescue mission in the world had been accomplished. Yes, church, sin and death are very much part of the gospel story. And when we see the way Jesus lived, when we see the way Jesus talked, he was never afraid to talk about the different ways that we as human beings have messed up and sinned. He was never afraid to point out the effects of sin. Scripture is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of those sin is death. So this is what this means for us. The gospel means that we have to embrace those who are lost in sin, not being afraid of the messiness that might come with it. This means, again, speaking up against systems of cruelty and injustice. This means standing with the weak and the vulnerable and the oppressed because this is exactly what Jesus did in his life. All this, too, is part of proclaiming the gospel. But church, this does not mean that we go around bashing and condemning people for their sin, threatening them with the punishment of hell. Yes, sin is serious, and it needs to be dealt with. But it's not done by Christians judging, pointing fingers, acting haughty and holier than thou. In fact, I would say this. One of the best ways to talk about sin is to share and be honest about your own struggles. Sometimes we as Christians, right, we, we, we have a tendency maybe to perhaps that we are above these things, that we don't have any issues, pretend like we're immune to the life's challenges and the things that are happening around us. And it can give up the impression that we, we have it all figured out, but if we're just honest with ourselves for just one second, this is clearly not the case. So when you speak about the gospel, speak also about your own brokenness. Acknowledge that the gospel is something you need just as much as anyone else. And hopefully you'll find, you know, as we approach the conversation from this perspective, right, of this is what the gospel has done for me. 
rather than you're a sinner that needs to hear about Jesus, I think you'll find that people are a lot more open to hearing you out. And yes, these things are going to be hard to talk about. It's going to take courage to be open and to be vulnerable. It's going to be a risk. But it's a risk worth taking because people need to know that sin and death are not the end. We need people to know that the gospel is actually a triumphant message of love and hope. So let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable. But let's also proclaim that because we can be open and honest about these things, we don't need to be a slave to sin and death. And we're not afraid of these things because in the gospel, death actually becomes a victory. Jesus is alive. And we can do and say and act to these things and love people in this way because we have the hope of resurrection. Listen to these powerful and triumphant words Peter continues with. But God raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If the death of Jesus is one of the most tragic and unjust things, the resurrection from Jesus is one of the most mysterious and yet wonderful truths about our Christian faith. Yes, church, Jesus died on the cross. But the reason we have hope, the reason know that he wasn't just an ordinary man is that what um, Peter has just said here, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, you have to understand this, right? Nobody is supposed to be able to escape death. Nobody. Death is like a prison that once you go in, there's no coming back. Dead people do not generally escape death and come back to life. But the reason why we as a church, we as followers of Jesus can confront this thing of sin and even death is because, like I said, we have the reassurance of the resurrection. The key to the gospel message is the declaration that as his followers, we too can share with Jesus in his resurrection. Peter really wants to drive this home. And if you continue to read in um, Acts chapter 2, he goes into Psalm 16 and a few other Psalms written by King David. And he points out that King David himself, right, he was the archetype uh, leader of Israel back then. But King, Le King David himself once prophesied about who Jesus is and what he would do. Peter explains to his audience that this, these psalms that King David writes about future resurrection wasn't about himself, but it was actually a prophecy about Jesus' coming and his resurrection. And this was to be the ultimate sign. The ultimate sign that would let all of Israel know that their Savior had returned, that the wait was finally over, would be the resurrection of Jesus. So the resurrection, therefore, church, is what gives the gospel power. The resurrection lets us know that a new era has begun. The kingdom of God is finally here. And as we wait for Jesus to return for the second time, we get to do the work of spreading the gospel, of bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This means that we as believers get to live in this reality, right? We're actively waiting for Jesus' return by living this gospel-driven life that we're talking about. And so this is why we can be bold and courageous when we share the gospel. 
This is why you see some people go as far as to risking their lives, going to the most dangerous of places, to live amongst the most difficult of situations, to tell people about Jesus, because they know that even if they lose their life in this, resurrection awaits. The um, theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, the good news, no, the great news of Jesus is that with his resurrection, it becomes clear not only that he is Messiah and Lord, but that in his death, he has dealt with evil itself, a blow from which, though still retains the some power, it will never recover. This is the message of hope the world needs to hear. The resurrection means that we can live and, and love sacrificially, even to the point of death, because death is not the end. Imagine then, what would it be like if we really lived a life that believed in this truth? If everyone was willing to live their lives this way? Well, we can, and that's what we're supposed to do. And we, when, we, when we share the gospel, we have to offer people an invitation into this lifestyle as well. So this is step three. We offer people an invitation to live their lives in this power of hope and resurrection. As Peter comes to the end of this um, end of his speech. This, this is the last crucial step he, he, uh, he takes. You see, the point of him preaching this message wasn't just to tell an amazing story. Rather, it's to help the people realize this is something, if you don't know about it, if you haven't heard about it, you need to respond to this. The Bible is not just a story of ancient texts from thousands of years ago, but the Word of God is described as active like a double-edged sword, profitable for teaching, training, and righteousness. And this is exactly what we see happening as Peter proclaims the gospel. Look at the powerful response it elicits from the people hearing it. Verse 37, when people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for, um, for, all, whom for all whom call the Lord, um, for, sorry, excuse me, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So maybe I'll put it this way. Have you ever felt the feeling, you know, suddenly you've realized, oh man, I've made a huge mistake. I get this sometimes. Um, maybe it's the time your wife told you, hey, can you remember to take the meat out of the freezer, please, um, before you leave today? And you're like, okay, okay. And um, you ignore it and you forget about it. And you didn't do it because you're watching TV, and then suddenly it's 5 p.m., and then your wife calls you and says, hey, you took the meat out the freezer this morning, right? And you just have this big question mark in your head. Uh-oh. Remember, the Israelites have been waiting for this Messiah. Since the glorious days of King David, they've been waiting for a new king to lead them in victory over their enemies. And God sends Jesus as this Messiah he came, he lived amongst them, he showed them love, he did miracles, but they did not recognize him. And so they killed him. 
suddenly in this moment, these people have realized the error. They've realized their sin. So now they're asking, what can we do? And after hearing this message, people were distraught. The reaction is, what shall we do? Is there any hope? Notice here that there's a deep, genuine recognition of the sorrow over their sin. It says here that they were cut to their heart. This is an important part of our journey in sharing the gospel, and sharing the gospel with someone else too. A true recognition of sin is needed. Otherwise, people will never truly recognize their real need for Jesus. This is one of those painful yet beautiful moments in life. This is one of those moments where you realize that your sin, um, uh, where, where you realize your sin, and that unless Jesus comes to rescue you, you're headed for disaster. What I'm trying to say is this. The gospel demands a response. So as we share the gospel, as we love people, as we stand by those who are hurting, we have to be ready for a shift to happen in these people's lives. Be ready for the gospel to make an impact on them. Now, this isn't to say this is going to happen every time. We also have to be careful not to coerce people into responding in ways that are not genuine to them. Peter doesn't try to manipulate the situation anyway. He simply presents the truth. He presents the facts as they are. And he lets the power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit do the work in the lives of those who are hearing it. But when it does happen, we need to be ready. And when we need to be ready to receive people when they choose to take this next step. And this is when we offer the invitation to them to declare who Jesus is in their lives. So Peter ends with an invitation. He tells them to repent. He tells them to be baptized, know Jesus, embrace forgiveness, receive the Holy Spirit, and join with us in new community. Repent. You know, when, G when Peter points out the sin in people's lives, it's not just to make them feel bad about themselves and to wallow in their sorrow. His point is not to judge them and condemn them. He tells people to repent because repentance is the first step in our journey towards Jesus. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry for ourselves. The word itself means to turn back, right? And when we turn back to our sins, it implies that we have a change of heart. We confess the things that we have done wrong. This is one of the most beautiful things as we start to share the gospel is how it really makes life-changing things happen in people's lives. I've seen the powerful effects in my own life itself when I've come to the places in seasons when I was wrestling with sin, trying to hide it in my life. And finally coming to a place where I could truly confess and repent. If I had held it in, I knew it would have been more devastating for me. But this is the power of repentance. That people who are heading into a life of destruction of sin, realizing what they've done wrong, and the Holy Spirit turning their lives around to enable them to live in lives of freedom. So we repent. But Peter also calls for the believers here to be baptized. Baptism then becomes this public declaration of the faith that you've now chosen to walk in. This, this is a sign that you've declared that I'm going to be rescued 
by Jesus. It's a sign that you're following a new leader now, a new leader now. You have a new king, a new Lord in your life, and you're not ashamed to tell the world who he is. And every so often at the Vine, we have, a, we have baptisms coming up very soon. If this is something God's been speaking to you about, then I encourage you to take that step of boldness to be baptized. In baptism, what we symbolize is us dying to our old lives. Our, we're washed, our sins are washed away, and we are raised to walking into a new life with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But then... Peter also says this, receive the Holy Spirit. So after we repent, we're baptized, something even more amazing happens. You see, after we've repented, after we receive forgiveness, even after you've been baptized, the struggle with sin is still very real. It doesn't mean that you're going to live an easy, sin-free life. It doesn't mean you're still not going to wrestle with sin and temptation. The devil... The, and it's still going to try and move you away from God. But this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit as our helper to lead us and to guide us as we continue our journey in this world. The Holy Spirit empowers us, enables us to do amazing and wonderful things, to live for God's name, to continue to represent Him in everything that we do. The Holy Spirit encourages us to stay on the path toward Jesus until the day he returns. So you don't do this journey alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. And in the end, 3,000 people, it says, come forward to repent, to be baptized, and to give their lives to Jesus. And this is how the early church is birthed. Later on in this chapter, it tells us that this community begins to grow. And not only does it begin to grow in number, it begins to grow in the way they care and love each other. They, they share everything. They bring everything to the table. And they look after each other in this radical, life-changing way, countercultural way. This was the church that Jesus was trying to build. And this is the church that God continues to want to build here on this earth. This is the kind of church that Jesus wants to see us continue today. And this is why we have to continue to be willing to spread the gospel, to invite people into this sort of community. So as you share the gospel, of course, maybe not 3,000 people are going to give their lives to Jesus each time. But what we're encouraged to do is to do our part. It might be one person. Maybe it will be 3,000 people. Maybe it might be 30,000 people even. But as Christians, we have been called just to be faithful and keep on adding to this number. This is why, church, what we're doing, the story of Acts is still an unfinished story. Our call, therefore, is not to give up in spreading the gospel. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, we continue to do this. And we witness the expansion of God's pink kingdom as many more come to know him. So this is my prayer for us as a church, as a community, that we will be passionate about declaring his word, that we would live the kind of life that Jesus lived, showing hope and compassion and love to those around us. And as we do this, we see lives changed. 
we see people receive hope in the most hopeless of situations. We see people embrace joy and, 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 and understand the identity in life that God has given to them. And we continue to do this until the day Jesus returns. May this be what we're known for as we continue to heed God's call to spread the gospel in this city and around the world. Would you pray with me, church? Father, we thank you for your story. We thank you for your life. Lord, we thank you that you came to dwell with us as unworthy as it was, as, un, as unworthy as we are for you to have lived among us, Lord. You came, you showed us what a full, obedient life in God looks like. And so, Jesus, as we continue to live out our lives here, in the different places you've put us in, in the families that we have, in our schools, in our workplaces, and with the gifts and talents you've given to us, Lord, we know that these things are not just for ourselves. But, Lord, you want to use us. You want to work through us. You want to partner with us in letting people know who you are. There is a world out there that continues to be lost in hopelessness, in darkness, in thinking that there's no, there's no future for them, in thinking that this is it. Lord, with the gospel that you've given to us, may we speak it out boldly, but may we also live it out bravely. And as we do this, church, as we do this, I pray that we would become a community that truly embraces those who are lost. I pray that many more lives would be changed because of the hope that they're found in Jesus. Use us for your purposes, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us wisdom and strength to do this by your power. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.